Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 362 Addiction and Substance Abuse with Professor Mark Hunter. I hope you listen and enjoy. Welcome to Unit 2 of Psychology 362, Addiction and Substance Abuse. In this unit, we're going to look at drugs and the nervous system. And then we're going to look at cocaine, amphetamines, and related stimulants. Chapter 3, we're looking at drug use and abuse. Now, um, as we go through this book and this, uh, this class, I want to kind of give you a uh, kind of a, an overview of what the different drug actions are. And so when we talk about psychoactive drugs, we're talking how those drugs change and affect the nervous system, primarily by altering normal brain function. What happens with really all psychoactive drugs is it causes a change in the neurotransmission of uh, the different neurotransmitters that uh, we have. And for the purposes of this uh, course, we're not going to require that you know all the different neurotransmitters and all their functions and things like that. So we'll mention them, but we're not going to really dive deep into the chemistry and the biology of them. But um, basically, what all psychoactive drugs do is it inter- either excites our neurotransmitter gives us more than what we normally get of um, that neurotransmitter, or it inhibits it, where we don't get what we normally get, and it blocks it. And so throughout this class, we're going to talk about how different drugs either give us too much of that neurotransmitter, or causes the increase of that, or blocks it and gives us uh, too little. And so we'll look at that in the effects of different drugs throughout the, uh, uh, this course. When we, anything that involves the brain has to go down to the unit of the neuron. And as we understand that uh, those are the specialized cells that we have in our brain. And neurons transmit information by sending electrical currents through the neuron and then to the end of the neuron, to the act, and then it's uh, either it releases a neurotransmitter, a chemical, um, across the gap, or the, we call the synapse, between one neuron and the next. Neurons don't really touch each other. They send chemical signals back and forth to one another. And so, as I just mentioned, most drugs act by altering this chemical phase of the neurotransmission. So uh, alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, heroin, all these different types of drugs change the transmission of neurotransmitters uh, from one neuron to the next. So as you can see here, in this uh, image that on the the left side is what a normal neuron looks like. 
and the large section there in the center talks about how these chemicals are sent back and forth across the synaptic gap. Think of it sort of as a lock and key mechanism. So the transmitter sent from one neuron is the key, and the specialized area of the next neuron has a lock, or we call these receptor sites. And so um, the neurotransmitter chemicals must occupy the receptor site for that neurotransmitter or get that next neuron to fire. So it's sort of like thinking about unlocking doors. To get through to inside your house, you have to have the right key. And the same thing is true for neuron, for neurotransmitters, is sending that um, the uh, chemical message from one neuron to the next. So drugs alter this transmission of, um, in a variety of ways. So for example, a drug may mimic a natural uh, neurotransmitter that we have in our body by activating the receptor sites. So some of the drugs that we uh, have really have the same chemical structure that we actually have in our bodies naturally. And it mimics that and has that reaction to um, within the receptor site of the, uh, of the uh, neurons. Another way, a drug may block a receptor site to prevent something from happening. So for example, if you're under anesthesia, the drug is blocking the pain message from one neuron to the next. And so it's not paralyzing your, um, well, you may feel paralyzed. What's happening on a, on a more detailed scale is the drug is blocking the sending of chemical neurotransmitters from one neuron to the other. So many different chemicals have been proposed to act as neurotransmitters. So again, there's uh, no way to, um, for the scope of this class, to go into detail on really any of them, but we are going to identify them and tell you what their names are. So, so acetylcholine, uh, anandamide, dopamine, endorphins, GABA, which is, has a real long name, and so it just goes by GABA, glutamate, norepinephrine, and serotonin. So some of these have, you may have heard in, um, in other classes or elsewhere, but uh, these are things that are naturally occurring in our bodies, and uh, they have different roles. But again, because of the scope of the class, we're not really going to get into the, the nitty-gritty of what they actually do. We're just going to tell you what their names are. Now, the nervous system is broken up into two major areas, and you've, you've gone over this in uh, your other classes, but the central nervous system is, includes the brain and the spinal cord. And the peripheral nervous system includes the sensory nerves, the motor nerves, and an autonomic nervous system, meaning that uh, the messages are the, the command center, of course, is your brain. Your spinal cord receives information from all parts of your body and is sort of the, the main cable to send that information to your brain, and the brain sends its information through the spinal cord out to the other parts of the body. Now, the autonomic nervous system is divided into two branches. One is the sympathetic 
branch, and the one is the um, uh, parasympathetic branch. The sympathetic branch is what happens when you get excited or scared, and your heart starts beating fast, and you start breathing, and you start uh, you get energized because you need to take action. Maybe you've um, experienced that sort of the fight or flight response when uh, you you know maybe you're in a close call and everything gets really intense. Well, we our body does that so we can prepare to handle that situation. However, you can't, uh, our body wants to get back to normal, uh, a homogeneous state. And to do that, it has a parasympathetic nervous system, which relaxes us, brings us back down to normal. So the sympathetic excites us, the uh, parasympathetic relaxes us. Our brain is, for uh, the purpose of this class, is we're going to look at the three major areas, and that is the forebrain, the midbrain, and the hindbrain. And again, we're going to mention different parts of the brain, and for our purposes, this will be the only um, real time that we'll go into much uh, detail about this. So um, I will just let you know that you don't have to become an expert on brain structure for this class. So the hindbrain is the lower part of the brain, right back here, the very back of your skull connecting to the spinal cord. And it includes medulla, the pons, and cerebellum. And the medulla oblongata is, helps us with our regulation of breathing, heart rate, and other basic life functions. So when you go to sleep, you don't have to set a note to yourself or think about keep breathing or you know keep a heart pumping that's done in the medulla oblongata and so we're able to to breathe and have our heart pump where we're not even aware of it um, the pons helps us control our sleep and wake uh, wakefulness which gives us certain times of the day that we're naturally sleepy and more naturally alert and the cerebellum or what is referred to as a little brain is important for motor control and coordination. The midbrain is really stuck in the middle and it uh, includes the superior and inferior colliculi, the substantia nigra, and the inferior colliculi is, helps us locate uh, sounds to understand where things are coming from so we know which way to turn our head when we hear a noise. So, superior colliculi is helps us to understand location of visual stimuli, so where to look if we see a sight. Substantia nigra is, produces dopamine, one of those neurotransmitters. And when this is damaged, this um, causes Parkinson's disease. So um, the, um, when this is unable to, uh, the brain is not getting the right message to stop these tremors that Parkinson's patients have. And so anytime that's damaged, um, it's, it's Parkinson's, um, it's related to the substantia nigra. The forebrain is the most advanced part of our brain, and that includes the uh, cerebral cortex. And that is, helps us for uh, planning and impulse control. That's the, uh, really the um, kind of the part of the brain that you see pictures of with the folded structures and, and things. The thalamus 
helps us under organize sensory input. It's like um, in older movies and TV shows, the operator, when you would, you know, someone want to make a call, they contact the operator and the operator would send it off to someone else. That's essentially what the thalamus does. Um, the hypothalamus regulates eating, drinking, bodily temperature, aggression, sexual behavior. So it has lots of roles. And the basal ganglia helps us with motor control. And the limbic system is important for memories and emotions. Now we're going to get specifically into uh, different drugs. And this is what we will do for the rest of the class. In chapter six, we're going to look at cocaine, amphetamines, and uh, related stimulants. Cocaine comes from the leaf of the coca plant. And um, people have actually been doing this for centuries by chewing coca leaves in South America. Um, uh, part of that is because there's the Andes Mountains, and if you go uh, high in elevation, you get a headache. And so people would uh, actually chew the coca leaves to help reduce that and give them a little burst of energy. Um, the Spanish introduced cocaine to Europe and uh, bought the coke. And so it was necessary to separate the cocaine from the leaf was done in the 19th century. And so when they discovered how to get the cocaine out from the leaf, uh, that was led to the development of cocaine, and then that led to widespread abuse and abuse. Amphetamines are stimulants, and they're artificially made. They're synthetic. They don't, uh, the ones that we're going to talk about don't occur naturally, and they were discovered in the 1920s. Um, they became uh, major drugs of abuse as well. Um, they were, it really started to go downhill, uh, use decreased in the 1970s and 80s as cocaine became more popular. Um, cocaine became one of the most frequently abused drugs in 19, the 1980s and 1990s with the introduction of crack cocaine, which is an inexpensive, smokable form of of cocaine. Another term that you may have heard of is bath salts. And these are synthetic cathinones that can use as stimulants over the years, but they're usually marketed as bath salts or sometimes plant food. And um, so in the, they were banned in the Prevention of Synthetic Drugs Act by 2000, of 2012. And so what happens a lot of time is there will be a legislation which will say this specific drug is banned. Then they'll have chemists come in and alter the, um, the chemical bonds and uh, chemical structure of the drug just a little bit. So it technically is not that drug any longer. It becomes a new drug. And so often then that becomes available and then becomes abused. So drug laws tend to uh, follow drug abuse. Pharmacokinetics or stimulants. And so 
the effects of cocaine, synthetic caffeinones, and amphetamines are really identical virtually um, through, you know, because um, said that for cocaine, which is metabolized really kind of quickly. So, um, but it's a short duration. So cocaine is usually metabolized in your body. You get the effect within 20 to 80 minutes, whereas synthetic caffeinones and amphetamines are more prolonged. Some get four to 12 hours. So you can see where people are uh, attracted to uh, bath salts and these other synthetic caffeinones because of the prolonged effect. It takes longer to get into your system, but it lasts longer. Uh, cocaine enters your system and metabolizes quicker, but doesn't last as long. Um, these drugs, cocaine, amphetamines, and synthetic caffeinones, act through the um, melamine neurotransmitter system, just a part of the neurotransmitters. And what it does is it increases dopamine, a naturally occurring neurotransmitter. And so it multiplies that uh, dopaminogenic effect. And so the, um, the action of the brain's reward pathways help, uh, helps us understand the addictive nature of cocaine. So we naturally get dopamine in some forms uh, through lots of physical activity and other things. But when you get this increased amount of it, then it becomes, you know, uh, people perceive this as highly rewarding and want to have that effect again because it's more intense than they naturally get. And that causes uh, desire to seek it out. But again, as we talked about earlier, tolerance means that you have less effect of the same amount of drug. So you got to take more of the drug in order to get the same initial effect. So what happens with a stimulant is it increases your heart rate, it increases your blood pressure and your respiratory rate, and causes your pupils to dilate. Um, it uh, usually helps you with accrete uh, alertness and arousal. You get stimulated to, um, you know, maybe your mood elevates, and um, and sometimes even at lower doses, maybe have enhanced performance of certain tasks. Uh, some occupations are susceptible to use of amphetamines because they have to work long hours and maybe have to uh, have, um, you know, sustained concentration. So people will take these as a way to do that. But once they've done that, then it's really easy to become susceptible to the addiction. Um, high doses of amphetamines or excuse me, stimulants can produce a paranoid state, which we call stimulant psychosis, and it can even lead to death. Dependence on that chronic use of cocaine, amphetamines, and synthetic caffeinones um, is when you, your whole life is preoccupied obtaining these substances. And abstinence syndrome is characterized by depression when you stop taking these things and craving, uh, and also a few physiological effects. Maybe you feel like you have the flu. Um, so the drug does not cause severe physical, even though the, the drug may itself not really cause severe physical withdrawal symptoms, it can be highly addictive, uh, in part due to psychology and 
wanting to uh, to obtain that feeling that uh, that you had taken the drug as opposed to that feeling you have in not taking the drug. One of the areas that is use of stimulants that we see a lot these days is stimulant drugs and ADHD. Ritalin is probably the most well-known and, and Adderall and these stimulants are used to treat attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and you may think well why would you give a stimulant to a hyperactive kid? Well remember this is called attention deficit and what Ritalin does is helps the child or whoever is taking this is to increase their ability to pay attention for longer periods of time. So even though it may sound kind of counterintuitive to take a stimulant for hyperactive, it's really not the behavior, the hyperactivity, it's the, the lack of attention that's causing that. All right, well, that ends our lesson uh, for this unit, and I'll see you the next unit.